Hey everybody, it's Ken Pooch Van Druden here along with Chris Raybold. What's going on everybody? We are episode 18 um, and uh, we sure are enjoying it. Everybody subscribe to our YouTube channel, please. Um, talk to us, uh, talk to us, talk to all your friends about us. Let them know. Um, yeah, let them know. Um, you know, we're trying to make this thing just a uh, an honest, um, organic discussion about audio, and uh, we hope that you guys are enjoying it. Um, you know, um, there's no motivation here. I hope you guys can see that. Um, we're not trying to sell manufacturers or, <laughs> in fact, I think we're beating up manufacturers I, I, more than anything else. <laughs> we ourselves a little bit as this goes on. No one's going to want to work with us anymore. We're going we're gonna to go back to work in a year and all the manufacturers are going to be like, yeah, no, we don't want to. We're gonna get some bad looks. <laughs> That's not true. We love we love uh, all the stuff, but along those lines, um, you know, we've had a lot of questions, and keep those coming. By the way, guys, please, um, we really enjoy um, doing that, and um, you know, a lot of the inspiration for the the topics that we choose are actually come from your comments, um, but we will also be doing uh, Q and A specific. Um, you know, episodes uh, coming soon. Um, but uh, anyway, along with the gear and manufacturer thing, um, I thought that maybe we would talk a little bit about, I know that both you and I rent gear back to artists. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, I mean, tell me a little bit how that goes for you. Do you, who do you talk to when you're talking about renting something and what do you rent and how does that come about when you're speaking to an artist or a manager or, or whatever right i can say that for myself uh i own gear and it's all gear that i use a lot like i don't buy something i, I will i haven't in a long time if i'm honest i will buy something kind of on a whim but by and large, I kind of have some just truly staple pieces. Uh, and so I choose the gear that I know I'm going to use. And I choose that gear. Well, let me say this. If I didn't have it, it's exactly what I would spec. I understand. And you so know, why why is it that you don't just spec it? Is, that, is it just because you're thinking that it might be hard for uh, – someone to get it or um is it truly a uh another source of income for you yeah for me what it is and for i think what, for a lot of us that have chosen to make the investment um i cap what i get at uh dynamics and effects processing essentially it's it's all for me because when you own your own gear there's the upkeep there's the maintenance sure. and I just, I don't want to, I'm, for me personally, I don't want to stay current with updating my desk and having the right retrofit cable fucking whatever. I just, I don't want to do all that. So for me, uh, it's microphones and it's outward processing and, but not just analog. Like I have, so what I do, what I have is I own a pile of outboard gear, most of which I've used for a very long time. Some newer pieces have made their way in there. I then have two Waves Extreme servers. Uh, I then have two UAD live racks. 
I have some near field monitors that I'm looking at right now. Um, <laughs> some JBL 708 P's, which I like a lot. I like their predecessor, the 6328s a ton as well. Uh, and, and then just some little, little stuff here and there. But for me, I keep it at those things and I made the investment. Uh, I'm willing to do the upkeep on those, which are very minimal. And it is something that, yeah, it's a source of income. It's not just, I bought them cause I like them. I did buy them cause I like them, but I have a goal with them. And yeah. that goal is, is I want to particularly on these longer tours as you're out there for a while, I want to make some money back on my, uh, on that investment. Um, yeah, for sure. And who I talk to, who the way that I, it's worked for me in the past is basically, you know, the, the production, let's say it's, let's just say it's the production manager. Production and the vendor cut a deal. You know, they, um, they have spec'd out, it's the PA, it's, it's all of these things. And I then give them my gear list, just as any of us always would. And then they have their value for those things. So yeah. I don't really determine the value, at least not in my experience. You, you, I don't know. I'd be curious to hear what yours has been, but I don't, I don't, I, I'm kind of beholden to whatever the deal that is cut between production and, and the sound company. Right. So if they cut it, I'm just going to make up a number. If they said, well, what Chris Raybould usually would want would be a hundred dollars a week. Then I now am charging Again, I didn't broker the deal. I'm now charging on it. So that's where it gets kind of tricky because then you might have another company that goes, oh, that's $1,000. Then I get to charge $1,000. But the way I've done it is I, what do I do? I bill the, I get money from the sound company because I'm essentially renting it to the sound vendor right. who supplies it for the client who is right. who I'm mixing for. Does that resonate with your experiences? With it the does. Data? It does. I've done it both ways. Um, so I'm the guy that uh, has the entire front of house package along with stage racks and snake and everything. Um, it's uh, it's evolved into that. Um, but um, I have just found um, that it is an additional source of income that over time, um, you know, is a, is a second income into what I've got going on. Um, now it's managing it is tough. Um, you know, exactly what you said, the, the argument against bringing your own gear to uh, a gig is that you have to maintain it, which is a real pain in the ass when you own an entire front of house system every time that that thing comes back from a festival run you have to tear everything apart clean it all up re-put it all back together um you know and you have to have a place to do that um thankfully you know um kevin taylor mccarthy has a kind of a regional sound company in detroit and lets me store my gear there um and kind of has a it's a real sound company with you know all the things that you need uh, in order to to maintain um, uh, an entire rig, if I didn't have that and I was having to do it like in my garage, uh, I don't know that I would be doing. <laughs> I don't know that I would be doing because it's a, it is a pain, a royal pain in the ass uh, to maintain all of that gear, even when it's in the best circumstances with the right tools. Um, so. And, and it's it's something that you have to do. I spend weeks um, where you know I'll go up two weeks or three weeks before a tour, 
and pre- I'll be in Detroit for three weeks prepping all of our gear to go out on something. And then when the gear returns, it's another, I have to fly up to Detroit for another week to clean everything up after that long ass tour. So um, there are definitely arguments for not doing it. However, um, if you uh, can get it to a place where your gear makes money, um, then it can be a a sizable, you know, chunk of money. uh, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, probably six years ago, um, I had to take a half a million dollar loan out to purchase a bunch of gear. The point I'm getting to is that it took me six years to pay that loan off. All right. And just now moving forward, (laughs) I would be making money on that gear because, uh, in that six years, I took every dime that that piece of gear or that that all of that gear made and poured it back into the loan that I made six years ago. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now the thing that you don't think about with all of this stuff is um in that six years there's been technology advances right. that I've had to purchase another hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of stuff to stay on top of the the advances. So now we're into you know, 650 grand basically um, that over the course of six years that is now just getting paid off and is now just making me money. Now, what's hard about that is, is that there's gear in there that is now, um, for instance, there are eight Mac minis in my front of house rig doing all kinds of different things, but they are 2010 Mac minis. Right. Or 2012 Mac minis. So they're eight years old now or more. Um, They're going to start to die like soon. So now I'm going to have to replace as they die um, over the course of probably the next three years or so. I'm going to have to replace eight Mac minis. You know what I mean? So and it's not just that. It's all of the stuff that's in there that has now been drugged all over the world for six years. Um. So you can see where this is going, right? Like if you, it's it's a good idea and it is a second income, but it's also, um, it, it's not the, I'm gonna make a million dollars doing this, <laughs> you know? Um, I, I do it for two reasons. One of the reasons is I want to have, you know, for selfish reasons, I wanna have all the best gear and the gear that I want specifically. I don't have to worry about specking it. I don't have to worry about arguing with the sound company. Um, you know, uh, if they don't own the piece of gear, like, you know, you guys are gonna have to go buy that, you know? Um, I don't have any of those arguments because I'm bringing that all to the table. I'm bringing all of my stuff. Um, and as far as it being a sell to um, an average manager or a band, why wouldn't they want to hire the gear that I think is appropriate? They hired me um, and they hired me for how I make it sound. And I said, well, in order for you guys to get what, you know, if you want it to sound like what you're hiring me for, then you guys need to rent this gear. Mm-hmm. Um the specifics to that are uh, a lot like what you said. Um, most of the time, uh, I make deals with sound companies. Um, and so I'm lumped into the big check that is written by the artist. So the artist rents all their gear from Claire Brothers, let's say. And then I am sub-renting gear to Claire Brothers 
Um, and, um, you know, most sound companies are, are happy to do that because it means that they can take their inventory and move it somewhere else to another tour that's needed. So the fact that I'm bringing an SD7 to a tour means that they don't have to source one of their SD7s to support uh, Iron Maiden, for, uh, let's say. Um, so anyway, it's... Um, I, you know, people always ask me about this. They're like, you know, cause they know that I rent my, I, I, you know, I carry my own front of house gear and, um, it is great, but I'm telling you, it is not, it's not always the, uh, this big money making thing, um, that, that you think it is. Um, I think mainly the problem is that, um, we make decisions that are audio nerdy based, right? So, I want, as an engineer, I want the top of the line best stuff um, with, uh, you know, it has to be the Ferrari, you know, it has to be the best fucking thing, whatever. Price tag. Yes. That comes with a huge price tag. So incorporating that into what's happening may not be the best business decision, if that makes sense. Like, um, I think if I were only worried about, hey, I want to make money with this, um, there would be dis- different decisions going on. Like I would be choosing maybe a platform that I know that I could deal with, but wasn't super happy about using, but it's half the money. If I were only worried about business, that's what I would do. But it, it's not true. Um, what I worry about is getting the best result for the client that I work for, which is kind of counterintuitive to business, if that makes sense. It does. Uh, you know, I'm just sitting here thinking... I think it's, you know, a a big thing to consider if you want to go down this route is what's the reality of yourself? You know, what, how much do you, cause like you've got your own console. I mean, there's a lot that goes, there's so much that goes on, on just a literal moving parts level to a software level. And if you're someone that is genuinely interested in that or has the, uh, I don't know, whatever that is, that makes that wants that allows you to to keep keep current with things, then then do that. And I just I know myself, and uh, you know it's interesting. I'm sure if we looked at the weekly takes for both of ours, yours would outweigh mine, but so did the cost, which right. is what you're saying. Right. You know, so does the time spent, and mine is smaller. But I know me. I know I'm only going to put so much amount of time into it. Yeah. You know, so I feel very confident, you know, mine, mine is on a, it's a smaller scale, but it's still like a pile of stuff. Yeah. And, uh, I tell you what, man, I've gotten very, I am so grateful for having done it because I've gotten used to that little bit of extra anywhere from a little bit to man, it definitely matters, particularly if the tour is of a longer duration, that really, really, really adds up. It sure know? is. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there's, a bunch of different sides to this, right? I I tell people this all the time. Like you, oftentimes I don't get to decide what the overall cost is. Um, I, if, if there is an argument and sometimes there is like the negotiation goes like this, Hey, I'm bringing my front of house rig. Um, you know, uh, Claire brothers, would charge X amount of dollars for the gear that you've spec'd. That's what the what we are going to charge the client. 
um, then the client oftentimes will see, you know, they have to know that it's my gear that I'm bringing. Um, and this is a, a, a really important fact too. Let me take us down a rabbit hole really to the side of this. If you own your own gear that, and it is mission critical gear, you need to make some sort of uh, relationship or not a contract, but at least kind of a spoken deal with whoever is the sound company that if your gear takes a shit, then they are going to treat it as if it were their gear. Right. So um, I'm really asking Claire Brothers, for example, to back me up with all of the resources that they have in that if my SD7 were to break, they would come to the rescue just like they would if it were their SD7. Um, now, along with that, you know, I could, I have relationships with manufacturers, so I could call Digico and Digico could make that relationship happen. You know what I mean? Like if a console were to break, they could drop ship me a console, but it's just better to have that relationship with the sound company, right? Um, so make sure when you're doing all of this, number one, transparency. Everybody's got to know what's happening. Like the artist that you're working for has to know that it's your gear. You can't be like trying to hide it from them that it's, oh, no, this is Claire Brothers gear, you know, whatever. Um, they need to understand the logistics of all of what's going on. Um, so just be real clear about that. Then number two have a kind of a side deal with that with that um, uh, vendor um, that, hey, listen, you know, I love you guys. And, and it's, a, it's a symbiotic relationship, right? It's like, I am keeping that gig for them and using their speakers and using their infrastructure with all this other stuff besides front of house. I'm happy to do that for you, but you guys have to be, have to back my ass up when my SD7 takes a shit. And I'll tell you, I had a conversation one time with a sound company, a major, 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 major player who just in their time in this business, which is not a short amount of time, had just really never done that with engineers before. And they felt I wasn't asking them to, to in fact, I was just having a conversation with them, just a friendly, you know, catch up on the phone. And they mentioned someone else that was wanting to do that. And I could tell they were really miffed at it, at the notion. And I, and I was very honest with them. I'm like, well, you know, I do that. I hadn't worked with them in several years. I was like, you know, I, I do that. Um, and, and really, I, until I spoke to this one particular company, I've never really had anybody have a, had a problem with it. Because like you said, it frees up inventory. Uh, I mean, it is... Yeah, I mean, there's an argument. I could see their, the argument of like, yeah, but it's money we don't have. What if we don't have a home for that other inventory? It kind of depends on how busy the company is. That's exactly right. So if it is a mom and, mom and pop kind of organization and they were counting on yes. renting uh, the one SD7 that they own, they were counting on renting that to this artist, then you run into some conflicts and then... Uh, yep. You know, I, I don't know, but it's to their benefit that we have this symbiotic relationship, right? Because listen, I, you know, I am never the guy that's going to sink a company 
you know, because they're not playing nice with me or whatever. If they are the sound company, uh, that's they are the sound company. And I'm going to work with them to make sure that they continue to be the sound company for whatever band it is. Um, But it's in their best interest to keep me happy. Right. Like to say, you know, hey, we'll work with you. And if you want to use your gear, fine, you know, um, just you know, because ultimately they're getting the bulk of the money, the, the speaker rental money and all the rest of the infrastructure, all the stuff on stage and, you know, all that kind of stuff is way more money than what I'm the piece that I'm taking out of this. Yep. And, so, and the, go ahead. No, no, I just mean, so if you want, do you want three quarters of it or do you want nothing? You know what I well, mean? That's what I was going to say, and that's the synergistic, kind of thing that it's in everyone's best interest to play nice. And what surprised me about that phone call that I mentioned was, you know, it got to the point where I'm just, they were basically just saying, you know, well, if someone, if someone's bringing that gear, then that's on them. And and we're essentially, basically they were kind of saying, if it is mission critical, if the console took a shit, they don't know that they're really, you're on your own to fix it. And I was like, what a, and not because, and I, and I'm not, and I would, I wasn't, I didn't really challenge them too much because I just wasn't going to, but in my mind, I'm like, now look, I get it. I am taking, I, there's We're, an argument that I'm taking money from yeah, your pocket. I know. But to your point, there's also the argument or the conversation that, Hey, if we can all do this together, when I leave this client, I'll call you again. Cause we've got a great working relationship. Then you've got 75 from this one and 75 from this one yeah. versus hundred from this. And you'll never see my ass again, yeah. you know? And so it was a really strange, it was just strange to hear that because again, while I am taking some of their revenue stream, aren't we all in this to put on the show? And I don't mean that in any sort of fictitious rose tinted glasses kind of way. I'm just saying, are your guys really going to stand there cross-armed while there's smoke pouring out of the console, yeah, right. you know? I know, and I know. so that really, that's the only time, but it was, I'm almost glad that I did. I know I am glad I had the conversation because it showed me that you really do like, make sure, you know, ahead of time or start, don't just two weeks before the prep stroll up and go, yeah, like do it early on and let it, and, and you know, and I've had companies, they send me their sheet, the spreadsheet that shows the breakdown the return of investment. So, it's all, it's all above board. We're all looking at, but it's crazy the way prices can vary. Um, and I know you've seen that yourself, you know, where, I mean, literally things are valued five times higher on this deal versus this. And so that's where it's always going to, if once the gear is paid off, it's always profit, but it is uh, surprising the, the variance in what people are charging for things. And that's where we're kind, we are kind of stuck, but I'll take well, being stuck at that. If I'm getting more money as a result, you know, to- totally, totally, totally. I, uh, first to just address what we were just talking about. The only time that I've ever run into situations where somebody was bummed about me coming with gear is a super small company that is, you know, they feel threatened, like I'm taking their money away from them. Um, And then there's a discussion. And, you know, if I'm really thrown into that situation, I might even negotiate with them to take their gear and put the gear that I own on another gig 
because I can make money even when I'm not in front of my console. So I can act like a sound company and say, okay, well, fine. If you guys were counting on that money for that SD7, I'll go rent my SD7 over here, you know? Um, and, oh, that just reminds me, you hear, you hear stories of uh, people that, where this really works out for both parties, where they say, like, say you go out, you rent your console on a Claire tour. And then that tour is over. You're not working for a while, and they suddenly they need an SD7. Then your desk, hey, they suddenly have another SD7 in their inventory, so to speak, in their arsenal that they can deploy. And then so it's win-win for both. Yeah, so, uh, I will tell you, it's funny. You know, I don't really rent my SD7 out too much. Um, and the reason is, is that you know uh, the the few times that I've done it. Um, unfortunately, man, people don't treat gear like you treat your own gear. Um, and so you send, I've sent my SD seven out on a couple of gigs and had to come back and just be like, what happened? Like, you know, scratches and you know, all kinds of stuff And it. And so I would say to all of you out there, even people that aren't renting your gear, treat gear like it's your own. Don't keep beating it up, you know? And just because it's a multi, multi-million dollar company like Claire Brothers doesn't mean that you should beat up their gear. You know what I mean? It's like someone spent a bunch of money making sure that all of this, you know, is good for you and operational. And especially think about things like interconnect. You know, people treat cabling horribly. And cabling is one of the most expensive things about what you have, you know. Um, I would say in each one of my racks, in the internal part of it, and then the interconnect from it, is close to about $10,000 in cable. I so, believe it. So when we were talking about, you know, six racks, we're talking about $60,000 just in cabling, right? Um, so, you know, that, that, um, NT 14 that you kind of just threw in a, in a cable box, uh, you know, that's a chunk of money, man. You know, it's like treat, treat gear like, um, like it's your own. And, and I do, and always have treated gear, um, like, uh, like it were, were my own. Um, even just, it's funny, even on an aesthetic level, I'll tell you what, we did our systems engineer, uh, which might be my, that was one of my favorite ones of these that we've done. That one was a lot of fun. I've gotten a lot of good feedback from that. Yeah, one. it was good. That, that relationship. But I'll tell you something that like says a lot to me is when people from companies don't, when the dust starts piling up on the gear and the shit gets dirty and there's janky knobs that they're okay with just, and you're right, when it's yours, it's a whole other level of concern. But you watch that happen and you realize that, Really, uh, you would like to think most people do treat gear really nice and, and kind of care, but more times than not, people are just, and because we do use stuff that's oftentimes very robust, very rugged, and the point is just to work and everyone's tired, you know, where people don't, don't really often treat things very nice. I you know? know. So treat your stuff nice because I want you to treat my gear nice. <laughs> I, and I'll see that. When I see, I'll, I'll oftentimes think, I'm like, man, does he ever clean that and yeah. I, and i'm just like what else is he not paying like kind of i know i know i know it gets you on the uh, down the road of conspiracy theory right um, right but, um anyway let's speak to the money because that is always the you know the hardest that was the second part of what you were just talking about um i've been in a few situations where um a 
manager or a business manager is now in the loop that it is actually my gear that's going to show up there mm -hmm. and thinks that they can take that opportunity to charge less money. Mm -hmm. In other words, um, you know, Claire Brothers would say, for instance, hey, we're going to charge X amount of dollars for this gear. Um, but since you're bringing it, you know, we're going to offer you, you know, less money. Um, and that's a super hard discussion. And so the way that I get around that is um, I have friends in all kinds of companies and I ask them and I know it takes some time for them to do it, but I will go to sales rep people and be very clear with them and say, listen, this gig is not coming to you. It's, I mean, it, it is definitely a whatever, a sound image gig. Um, but do me a favor. Could you take a list of my gear? Here's my list and bid on it as if you, it was coming to you so that I can get a, a collection of three different major sound companies numbers of what my gear is worth. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, and you'll be amazed to know that no bullshit. I did this on purpose. And I said to them, do not go looking at other sound companies or ask me what other people are bidding on this. I want an honest bid from you on what this gear is. Bid on it like you want the gig, right? Mm -hmm. um, and believe it or not, uh, three different major sound companies all came back to me within like $500, which- Oh, wow. When you're I talking, thought you were going to say the opposite. No, when, I think, it, and I think that's because everyone knows, everyone has a good idea of what the market value is, and and everyone's operating within such small margins. Yep. You know, it's really all about who's going to give it away, particularly when it comes to front of house stuff. Because, for instance, the stuff that I that I own which is all the processing and, the, and uh, that's the kind of stuff that they could be like, you know what, just you're, you know, suddenly the front of house costs. And we all know there's companies out there that, you know, that's, they're known for underbidding and that's how they, that's how they exist. You know, where the, the, it turns out where production's really just paying for the console and everything yeah. else out there, every computer, every, everything they just threw in in the deal. But I think at the end of the day, they all know, kind of what fair market value is, wouldn't you say? Absolutely, 100%. Um, but here's where, <laughs> here's where the problem is. Fair market value is often really askewed. So for instance, um, when we're talking about an SD7 that has quantum engines in it, and then two stage racks that are filled with 32-bit cards, we're, we're talking of, you know, a, a cost of upwards of, you know, $400,000, right? For all of that stuff versus another consoles company that has all the same infrastructure, can do all that, the same amount of channels and all that kind of stuff, but its cost is about $150,000. Yep. Those two things rent for the same amount of money. Yep. yep. So there's something wrong with that, right? Like, so me being an equipment owner, I look at that and say, well, why the hell does this thing that I paid three times as much money as something else 
rent for the same amount of money in the whole business, not just one sound company, all, all of them do it. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is where it becomes the mistake to be not the businessman, but be the engineer. Um, because you make decisions on buying the Ferrari and forget that it costs you, you know, a thousand dollars to get the oil changed. Right. As opposed to buying, you know, the Honda that costs you $25 to get the oil changed. You know what I mean? Um, and what I, what I hate about that is you and I, and everyone that's out there listening to this can get similar results out of both of those things. It's a lot harder in the cheaper version to get a, uh, a, a result that we consider good. And if you put that cheaper version next to the Ferrari, you're definitely going to know which is the Ferrari. But sure. in general, the, the, we are here to make things sound good. So I can get a result out of both of these things. Um, so from a business perspective, it is totally the wrong choice to buy the Ferrari. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. I'll give you an example. I purchased, um, the very first year that a profile profiles came out, I bought a profile, an Avid profile. Um, probably the best investment I've ever made in my entire life. That thing paid for itself six times over. I'm sure it did. Um, and that's because it was a um, relatively cheap console at the time, and its rental rate was the same as the Ferrari. (laughs) And so um, I benefited from that. Now, did I have great shows on that platform? I sure did. And did it sound great? Yes, I got a great result out of that. Um, but, But being the business owner, I should buy more profiles. Does that make sense? Oh, for sure. So... I don't know. I'm trying to share all this information with you and be really honest about it because, um, you know, people ask me all the time, Hey man, you know, how is it renting your gear? And my answer is it, it can't be short. It has to be the, the 40 minutes that we've just been discussing this because there's right. so much involved in, in it, you know, yes, it will make me money. Does it make me tons of money? No. Is it, a tool that I love to use every day. Yes. Is the maintenance super hard? Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so I don't know, man. I mean, you really have to make a decision. If you're going to go down this road, there are a lot of things you have to really want to do it. I guess if that makes sense, it's not just, it's not just, Hey, this is going to make money for me. It's not. And you got to think about, you know, what, what, in what way are you touring? Are you a guy that tours, 40 weeks out of the year? Or are you a guy or gal that tours 20 weeks out of the year? Because I've also seen pricing structures that are different where the, re- the, the ROI, the return on investment, it's in other words, their pricing structure, companies will structure it differently based on they'll have like a set point and past a certain number of weeks, it rents for this below a certain number of weeks, it rents for this. So yeah, there's the allure and there's the you know, how cool is it to have your own stuff? And then you think about making that money back, but like how, how, how much are you really out? How quickly, like you said, you tour all the goddamn time. Yeah. It took six years to pay off because you, I know. Well, the, you know, mothership. Yeah. So yeah. Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? But you also get mothership results, you know? 
Um, yes. So it's just, you have to, it's just like any purchase. It's just like any purchase in the world out there. Um, you just got to really think, what does this look like long-term? Yeah. What's in my best, what's in my best interest? You know? you know, the last thing I want to point out about this before we move on to a little kind of a, a related topic is that if you notice in all of this discussion and what I've kind of been imparting knowledge on you guys is that all of what we've just discussed depends on relationships with people, right? Yep. So I have to have a relationship with people in sound companies in order for this to work. Um, you know, uh, I have to be able to call up my guy at such and such a sound company and just be like, hey man, um, I, I just got this gig. Uh, they want to use you, um, but I'm going to bring my gear. Let's talk about that. How are we going to make this happen? And have that person be in your court um, and work with you to make that happen, uh, which goes to show in all of these things that we've talked about where, you know, if you're a dick, man, people won't talk to you and you're going to miss out on this opportunity as well. Yeah. Um, and so. if they know, if, if you're in, uh, not in good standing with someone, they know you're the guy that brings the guy, guy that brings their gear in and they're cutting that deal. Guess what's going to get yeah. <laughs> the shit that you're trying to bring in. Oh, I know? know. And then you got to fight and say, well, you know, Hey, so I, luckily I've never been in that situation because I try to work with people. Like I said, if I, if I get tons of pushback, my my answer is always like okay fine i'll i'll take my gear and rent it somewhere else i understand that you guys want you know mm -hmm. um so uh anyway lots of stuff you know there um uh lots of stuff to think about when you're renting uh your own gear back to uh artists um kind of along the same lines but um you know in regards to talking about money issues um mm -hmm. I thought that maybe we talk a little bit about, I think we are both in a place in our careers where we have made um, some deals with artists and managers that um, either contain some sort of retainer or um, are in a way for the artist to kind of lock us up and make sure that we're going to be there uh, for either their next tour or or when there's a break or, or whatever. Um, I don't know. Let's speak about that a little bit and what that looks like. Cause I bet there's some guys out there that haven't had that opportunity. And what is it that they should know about the pitfalls about that? Mm. The, the first thing that comes to mind is know the territory that you're in. You know what I mean? Like, in other words, if I'm out and I'm mixing front house for, thousand dollars a week and it's a trailer attached to something <laughs> that band is probably not in the position to retain me no. at all even on two week breaks you know what i mean like they can't afford the thousand dollars a week they're paying you they can bear you're lucky to be getting that so it's this kind of goes back we did one on just uh i think we did one on contracts in general or something business related it's kind of like no when and where that you kind of have the floor and the ability to, to ask for things that are realistic in, in, for that artist. So that's, that's the most important thing is know, know when it's, when it's appropriate. And I, I honestly, I feel like you'll know, 
there's those reaches when you're not sure maybe if the band is coming up or, you know, but by and large, you're going to know. And if it's an established act, you will know. I mean, you'll know like, yeah, this is a gig and that's customarily what they do. So uh, I kind of, for me, I just kind of assess the lay of the land. It's discussed immediately. I mean, it's right up there with I cost, I'm asking for this much, you're suggesting this much, we settle on, or, I mean, it's right there. That's the second part of the conversation is how do we handle downtime? And downtime meaning two things. It means time between legs. It means at what point in time does retainer kick in? In other words, 50% retainer kicks in after 10 days of being off, two weeks of being off, at which point I go on, uh, or is this, or is my retainer situation one where conceivably I get paid full rate with this artist when I'm mixing for them. And then when I'm not, I'm on an agreed upon percentage. You know, you would hope it's 50%, but you hear stuff all across the board and that that's for the duration of our time, as long as we're both alive yeah. and we all know you know, you're hired until you're not. Yeah. And that's the truth of it, you know? So, uh, yeah. So that's just it. Know what that discuss that early, early, early on, because once they've got you and you haven't ever done it, I mean, they, they've got you. If they say, no, we never discussed that, you know, I, I, you know, uh, listen, it's to their benefit. If you make yourself valuable to an artist, um, it's to their benefit that they hold on to you. And, and I've expressed that to management and artists and just say, listen, you know, uh, I, um, I think I've done a good job here. And I think that, um, I can continue to do a good job. You're going to want to hold on to me. Even when you have these downtime breaks, um, I'm a guy that's, uh, you know, been getting offered gigs all the time. Um, I have to work, I can't just sit here and wait for an artist for six months to, you know, um, uh, to fire back up again. I'm going to get offers during that time and, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to work. So we are going to have to work something else to prevent me from, you know, going somewhere else. It's to their benefit to, to do that. Um, you know, I've negotiated deals in two ways. One of the deals is just like what you talked about, where the second discussion, once we've discussed salary during touring, um, is uh, uh, the second question after I say that's how much I, I, you know, after we've negotiated my my tour salary is, then there's always the almost every band wants to pay you less for rehearsals. And I always say to them, not a chance. That's where I work the hardest. <laughs> Especially for people in our role. Yeah. I should be charging you double for rehearsals is what I tell people. Seriously. Yeah. Right. Um, because seriously, I mean, that is, those are the days that I work 15 hour days, you know, yeah. when they do rehearsals and then I stay another six hours or seven hours doing virtual playback. Um, and those are the days that I'm working the hardest. So if you if you have an artist that or a, a manager that wants to negotiate fifty percent salary for rehearsals or whatever, I'd try to stay away from that because that's really when we work the hardest. Um, yeah, if I'm gone from home, y you got me. Yes, you know I mean, like I'm. You, that's it. Yeah, if I walk out my front door, it's X amount of dollars. All right. So then the the next conversation is just like what Chris said. What happens when we're off for 
two weeks? What happens when we're off for four weeks? What happens when we're off for six months? What are they, what are their plans for that? And I've had varying degrees of offers in that. I've had artists pay me, say to me, well, we pay 50% um, of your salary on off time, regardless of if it's three weeks or six months or a year. Okay, cool. That's great. I've had other artists that stagger it. You get 50% until a month and then 25% after that or, you know, whatever. So all of these things are negotiable and you guys should, just like the, the initial negotiation of salary, you guys should have a number in your head that you're willing to go whatever the lowest amount is. Two times in my career with two major artists, I've made a deal that is totally not any of that. I've made a deal where I get a same check every week, 52 weeks a year for as long as I work for them, whether they work eight months that year or whether they work two months that year. Mm. Now, what's difficult about that deal is you have to really kind of pay attention to the MO of the band because they could take that opportunity to all of a sudden next year, they're going to tour 12 months straight. Right. And the, the, the money that you've negotiated is now small in comparison. Um, so it takes a lot of research when you're negotiating that deal. Um, but I got to tell you, I like that deal. I like getting the same check, no matter whether I'm touring or whether I'm sitting at home, it's like, kind of like having a real job where, uh, <laughs> you know, people that are used to uh, right. getting a paycheck every week, you know? Um, and I, I did that for a bunch of years with Lincoln Park, um, and uh, I've done it with uh, another major artist. So um, I don't know. Have you have you run into that or ever made yeah, that deal? For a long time, I did that for eleven years. I think it was cool. Um, but that's the only time I've ever done it. And I was aware when, while that was going on, I was like, you know, this is not like those are not very normal no. situations. Like if you've got one of those, you're in a pretty unique place. And I always knew and said that to myself, you know, that, that, that that's, that this is, this is something special. You know, I think it's also important that we point out what retainer is. Um, and also maybe some of the catch 22 that goes along with it. You know, retainer is retaining your services essentially and people vary on how they feel about this, but that's, it's really, you're just being retained through the day, you know, through that day or through that week that you're paid, you know, and people will look at this different and I've seen it worded different in contracts. I've also mind you been on under contracts that are a hundred percent handshake. Like there is no, I just cleaned out a file cabinet over here the other day. And it was all deal memos and contracts. And I was like, you know what? I can get rid of this. I, for nostalgic reasons, maybe I keep it. But it was, and it was interesting. Some of them were this big. Some of them were that big. Some of them never existed. I've, I'd never signed a thing to work with that person. you know. Um, but anyway, but they are retaining your services. So if they call, you are at their beck and call. Now, some people will tell you, but you have to have two weeks heads up. Some people will say, no, 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 no. If, I, if, if my artist is playing an acoustic guitar at a Chili's tomorrow, I'm there no matter what. So, and also that, 
know what retainer means, know, have that in writing, or at least a, an understanding of what that means. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, I tend to be, I'm the guy that, hey, listen, if you're paying me, everybody else is second fiddle. Uh, so too. even the like couple weeks thing, if you've been paying me for six months, right. we haven't done a goddamn thing, right? You, I should probably get on that plane yeah. tonight. You know, but that's, that's my personal feeling. I, I, I feel that way too. I, I have never been in a retainer situation where even when a band came to me and said, Hey, next week we need you to be here. And I was, you know, working for somebody else. I went to that, you know, second it, fiddle band and said, Hey guys, sorry, I've been on retainer. I told you I was on retainer. Now that's a good point though. Yes. If I'm working, go there. Yes. <laughs> if I'm working, with a band while I'm being retained from another band, that band knows for sure that I'm being retained. Um, you know, we, when we talk about contracts, there's, there's a, a good part to contracts and a bad part to contracts. One is that most of the contracts that are uh, sent to me, the ones that I've signed are a little bit one-sided for the band. You know what I mean? There's all these kind of clauses in there about, you know, like if I spoke uh, not highly of a band, you know, they could sue me. Those are all like clauses that are part of this contract. It's it's pretty intense. Um, and every contract that I do, I have a lawyer look at. OK, so make sure that you do, because you don't want to sign yourself into some some contract that's just like, what is happening? You know, um, right. so anyway, um I'm just saying that the best best thing to do in all of these things that we're talking about is transparency. Like I tell everybody that in any sort of situation, if they come to me and they say, hey, we want you to work for these two months for so-and-so, my answer to them is absolutely, I am available and I know absolutely I'm going to be available because of past experience. I know that Iron Maiden is only going to work during these months. However, <laughs> I am under contract with them. And if they did call on Friday to be there Saturday, I'd be flying on Saturday. You know? yep. And that's um, a delicate conversation, too, because the one thing you don't want to do when someone calls you with interest in your services is to sell them out of you. Yes. In other words, you need to be forthcoming. And absolutely, does it need to come out right away? But it needs to be not, you don't want it to be such a caveat that they're going, ah, yeah, but he might. And it's really, you have to let them know that you mean it. You got to go when you got to go. I always, I always tell the way that I get around that is I tell them, I say, listen, if I were under contract with you, you would want me to be there. You know right. what I mean? So, and, you, yeah. And so here, and I was going to say, and to that point, a lot of people, this is the catch 22 of being on retainer is if you end up with certain clients uh, that are of, of a certain stature, a lot of times they don't want to be number two to anybody. Right. And, and I have run into that before and I totally understand. Like they're not the kind of clients that, that you, you, that would anyone would ever leave them for anyone else. It's like, but that's the deal I'm under. So, and I've also heard of guys, I've heard of two kinds of guys. First of all, I've heard of someone who very famously um, didn't share with either act 
that he was on retainer with the other, got retainer from both, and oh. then you would expect and see how this movie played out, fucked himself, and has a and has a that doesn't have a good reputation, you know, as a result uh, of these acts. I um I had a thing last year where I was under retainer with one artist or on retainer with one artist, and then I was going to start working with another artist who also offered me a retainer, and I just said, look, I can't in good faith do this. I've because never it, taken a retainer from two bands. Oh, it'd be a horrible thing to do. It is the definition of conflict of interest. It's yeah. like, I, I can't do that because if this other person calls, I got to go. Yeah. Um, so, but, and, and quickly, I wanted to say there's also, and I, and I had this recently in the past few years where I had a little bit of downtime. I was on retainer and, uh, you know, so many people, they just immediately, it was almost like I was not, I was in the run. I mean, I was in the running for all these gigs. They were calling with interest, but then they essentially were like, yeah, but you're, you're, you're locked in with such and such. So you can be known. And that, and that happens to a lot of people where they're tied in with one act for a long time. Yeah. Like their, their phone stops ringing because people know that they're, that they're, so it, 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 it works both ways. You know, your availability is going to go down. Um, but your consistency of, of that check yeah. is going to go up. So I think, it, I, you know, I think it's something that's a really good point to point out to when you make the decision to sign a contract with a band and go into a retainer kind of a situation, you might be pulling yourself out of other gigs. You know, it yeah. might be to your benefit to, to not do that. If you think you're going to get offered other stuff, you know, I don't know. There's all kinds of, of, you know, sides to this. And that's kind um, of like a, you kind of have to be an adult with yourself. It's no different than going, than having the same discussion with yourself. Like, do I really need to buy all this gear? Is that really in my best interest? And then you also have the conversation with yourself, like, okay, where am I in my, in my career? What means more to me, the consistency of this employment and of being at the same place, or am I at the spot? And I've been there where, man, I love the fact that my phone's ringing all the time. I love jumping from one tour to the next, flights that I didn't have planned that show up and I'm gone. If that's where you are, then honor that and do that and be that guy for a while. But if you're at the point where you realize you got a good situation, be that person. Yeah, totally, man. That might be where the payoff really is. I think that uh, in all of this, it's about... This is a super small industry, man, and any sort of weird shit that you try to pull is going to get out and people are going to find out about it and people are not going to hire you. You need to be really clear about, like I said, transparency is the best way. Uh, honest and transparent with all of the people that you're working with and, and, uh, you know, say, listen, this is, this is how I handle it. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks a lot, guys, for coming. Um, I hope you got a little bit out of the whole thing, talking about contracts and talking about renting gear. It's kind of a, a uh, another one of those business ones. Um, but um, make sure that you subscribe. Make sure that you go to all our social media. And uh, thanks for coming, guys. See ya. See ya. See ya.